Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. So, I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as our partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, who are you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is God's word. It is true, and it is given out of his love. You may be seated. Amen. Thanks, Ray. Um, She doesn't seem to have picked up on any of her dad's homeschool awkwardness, so we're really grateful for that and your confidence up here. Thanks, Reagan, for doing the announcements. Um, Yeah, so I'm Colbert. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, it's great to be worshiping God with you this morning here among all of God's people at a church in a gymnasium. uh, Whenever God's people are gathered, we are the body of Christ together, so it's a privilege to be worshiping here with you. Um, What we're going to be talking about this morning is we're continuing our series through the book of Acts, and we're going to be talking about this idea of leaders and leaders in the church and what it means to be a leader. And one of the things that we can identify as humans is we have this innate desire to follow good leaders. There's something about the way that God designed us or, or created us that we look up to leaders and our greatest respect are for the people that we deem the most uh, greatest and trustworthy leaders. So with uh, presidents and politicians, we want strong and clear leadership. If you look at like your favorite sports teams, a lot of times the best players or the best coaches that you respect are those coaches or players that seem to have the best leadership abilities. Um, if you work for someone, if you are an employee somewhere, you hope that your boss is going to be a good leader. Uh, even in your kids' schools. A lot of how their education goes depends on how good of a leader their teacher is in their classroom and how good of a leader the uh, principal is at their school. And so the church is the same way. God designed the church to be led by a a qualified group of people called elders and deacons that are called to uh, serve the church through leading. And so one of the things that we can see as you evaluate the world, though, is that whenever leaders end up failing us, and leaders tend to fail us quite frequently, whenever leadership failures take place, what the inevitable result is is that it causes pain for the people under their care or under their leadership. And so um, if you think about um, the the degrees of pain that is caused by a leader's failure, the amount of pain that is impacted relates to how significant their leadership role is. Okay, so I'm a a Green Bay Packers fan, which means I trust Aaron Rodgers to be our leader. It also means that I am dealing with pain every year when the playoffs come around and he inevitably fails in the first round of the playoffs. Okay, but that pain caused by our poor leadership uh, is not nothing compared to the pain that can be caused by a a president or a world leader who ends up failing and causing a lot of pain. So the degree of leadership always is tied to how much pain they cause if they fail us as leaders. And and here's why this is important. Because if if you are here and you're struggling with your faith, uh, if you have a member of your family or a friend that struggles with their faith, struggles to believe in Christianity, what is often the reason to blame for that is wounds and hurts and pains that have been caused inside God's church. Okay, and the most Most time, most often, the pain that is caused inside the church comes from a leadership failure. 
Okay, and, and so what we're going to talk about this morning is how important it is for the church to be led by godly leaders. Okay, leadership is important. And so what we don't want to do is throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, because leaders can cause us pain, let's just not have anyone lead anything. Okay, that's not how God created the earth. When he uh, gave Adam and Eve the creation mandate, he, he told Adam that he was to work and keep the garden. Okay, those are leadership functions that he was called to do. And so if we are going to follow God's creation mandate for us, we need to have godly leaders. The question, though, is how can we look for leaders that lead in the manner that God wants us to? Okay, so now this getting all my cards on the table here. We are a part of a network called Acts 29, uh, and the history of our network is one that has seen deep pain caused for many people because of a lack of character among some of the leadership, particularly the person who founded uh, the network, Acts 29. La- last summer, the number one podcast in the country, Christian and non-Christian, the number one podcast was a, a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, and it was all about chronicling the challenges that came about because of the leadership failures of the man who started the network that we're a part of. Okay, so when we're, talking, when we're talking as a church, this little family meeting we're having this morning, talking about what good godly leadership looks like, this is something that we should intuitively understand that if we don't handle this topic well, the consequences could be potentially devastating for people in our midst. And so what the theme is we want to get to today is saying what I think God's word shows us is we are not called as Christians to look for leaders to follow. Okay, don't look for a leader to follow. Instead, follow a leader who looks like Jesus. Okay, that's the important shift we need to see in our thinking. Don't look for a leader to follow. Instead, follow a leader who looks like Jesus. And this is important for all of us because we all have different spheres where we exert leadership influence. Okay, as a follower of Christ, you are called to lead yourself well. Okay, you are to be a, a good leader of self. And as you grow in your ability to lead yourself, you should also be able to lead others around you. And if you continue to grow in your leadership abilities, you're called to lead other leaders. And so no matter who you are, if you've been a Christian for a short period of time or a long period of time, uh, you have influence and that influence should be stewarded. So even though this passage this morning dresses elders or the people who who are, are called by God to lead the church in a specific office, it is applicable to all of us because God has called all of us to lead in different spheres. So I'm going to say a word of prayer and then we'll jump into studying Acts 20 together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, your word for us this morning. I thank you for your presence here with us. I thank you that when we open up these pages, uh, these are, this is not just a historical narrative. We're not just reading something that happened a long time ago, but what it is is it is inspired and inerrant and powerful and sharper than any double-edged sword. Lord, the words that we are going to read this morning are uh, full of the life of your spirit and are able to convict us where we need convicted and also able to encourage us where we need encouraged. So I pray that we that we would submit to you this morning that your word would do its work in our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're in Acts chapter uh, 20, and we're beginning in verse 17. If you don't have a Bible, on the table Bibles, it's page 929. We're going to go through quite a bit of verses this morning, so it's good to have the text out in front of you as we get going. So this is, we're kind of on the back stretch of the book of Acts now. Paul is headed towards Jerusalem for what will probably be his last trip to Jerusalem before he is arrested. Spoiler alert, at the end of the book of Acts, Paul gets arrested. If you want to read ahead, you can see what's going to happen. Uh, but, but he's on his way back to Jerusalem. He's in a hurry to get there, and so he's going to call the elders from the book of, uh, from the, the city of Ephesus to meet him. So let's pick up in verse 17 and just see this really important concept real quick. Uh, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders 
of the church to come to him. And so, so what Paul's doing is as he's going on his way, he, he has a last word he needs to deliver to the church in Ephesus. In order to get that message across, he calls the leaders of the church in Ephesus. And it, these leaders are called elders. And so if you, if you look through the Bible, the New Testament, there's, there's three different words used to describe the group of men that are charged with leading the church in the New Testament. Sometimes they're called elders. Sometimes they're called overseers. Sometimes they're called pastors or shepherds. But that's all the same office. So he calls this group of leaders from Ephesus. Ephesus, it's a 50-mile walk from Ephesus to Miletus where they're at. Okay, so, so think about the amount of respect and affection that this group of leaders would have for Paul to be willing to hike 50 miles on foot in order to be with him one last time before he uh, heads to Jerusalem. And so, so again, what we're seeing here is this, this, this chapter we're going to see this morning is addressed to the elders of Ephesus. So before we study this, we need to see what it means to be an elder in a church. And so an, an elder or a leader in the local church, the people in charge with uh, ta- uh, caring for God's church, is a, is a group of godly men. It's a plurality of godly leaders in the church. And so I'm going to talk about two different things there. The godliness required, the character required of the leaders, and the plurality of it. Um, So the first thing is that when you talk about godly leaders in the church, whenever Paul describes what it means to be an elder or a leader, he always focuses in on their character. He spends very little time talking about their skills or what they should be good at, but he spends a ton of time saying this is the kind of man who's qualified to be a leader because when it comes to leading in the church, the character, the godliness of the leader is the most important thing. Okay, if you look throughout the history of Israel, the history of the church, anytime there has been a leadership failure, it hurts people. And those failures almost always come back to character problems, right? In Ezekiel 34, the prophet uh, uh, condemns the leaders of Israel in the Old Testament saying that, that they were like, more like wolves than shepherds. They weren't caring for God's flock. They were doing it out of selfish gain because their character did not uh, match what God had called leaders to have. And so, so with that, what this shows us is that if, if character is the most important trait for a leader, in the local church, then that's the thing we should be evaluating when we ask someone to be our leader. Remember, we're not trying to look for better leaders. We're trying to follow leaders who look like Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And so so when we pick leaders, a lot of times in the world, we look at certain things, like how successful is their business? Do do they have a charismatic personality? Do people like them and want to follow them? Are are their kids, do they seem like their kids are well-behaved and attractive and they're living a life that we're envious of? Those kinds of things are what the world uses to evaluate leaders. But inside God's church, we have to have a different set of a criteria when picking who we are asking to lead us. Okay, and so what we're doing as a church is on the ramp down there when you came in this morning, there's a list of six priorities. Okay, it's those things we talk about a lot, being authentically loving and relationally intentional and scripture-saturated and gospel-centered and kingdom-multiplying and missionally discipling. Those six things we think is a full picture of what it means to be a mature Christian. And so if someone is going to lead in our church, we're not asking how successful is their business. Uh, Do people like their kids or not? Or are they physically attractive? All of those things that the world evaluates leadership on. Instead, what we're doing as a church is saying, do they embody those six priorities? Are, Are they the kind of mature Christian that if we say, follow me as I follow Christ, if you get in line behind them, you will end up where Jesus is at. Okay, that's what Paul, how Paul describes his own leadership in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, uh, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ or follow me as I follow Christ. And the thing that I love about that is it shows us that, that leadership is directional. Okay, like if you are headed towards Jesus and I get in line behind you, I'm going to end up in the right spot. 
Okay, and that spot I want to end up in has to do with the godliness of our character and whether we are becoming more like Jesus. Okay, so again, don't look for a leader to follow. Follow a leader who looks like Jesus. That character piece is so important. Okay, but that character piece does not mean that our leaders will be perfect. Okay, our leaders are still going to be sinners who struggle. One of my favorite quotes comes from Eugene Peterson, who was a a pastor and author, and he says, "A, a church is a community of sinners where one sinner is called pastor. I, I love the humility and the honesty with that. A church is a community of sinners where one of those sinners is called pastor. And so because of that, like I said, the elders in the church is the group of men, a plurality of godly leaders. That word plurality just means that there's more than one. And the reason that's important is because every time in the New Testament it talks about the leaders of a church, it's always plural. Okay, there is never an elder, an pastor in charge of a church. It is always a group of qualified men. And so that, that's where sometimes people ask me if I am the pastor here at our church, just because I do the majority of the speaking. But the truth is I am one of four pastors that our church has. We have four elders, myself, Mark, Brandon, and Bill, who are together called to care for and shepherd the church of God. We also have an amazing team of deacons of both men and women who serve the church by helping assist the elders in caring for God's church. God has always intended for his church to be led by a group of people. Okay, and that's because my shortcomings need to be covered by other leaders and their shortcomings need to be covered by other leaders. And together, when we uh, to use our gifts in unison, our shortcomings are covered by the, uh, the maturity of all the leaders together. And so like I said a little bit ago, um, this is talking to elders, but this is also talking to leaders. So no matter who you are or what you say your leadership gifting is, you are called to exert influence for the good of the kingdom. Like we've been saying throughout the whole book of Acts, God has given you a ministry. There, there is a place in your life where you have uh, uh, influence over other people in order to point them to Jesus and show the world a picture of what the kingdom of Jesus looks like. And so in that area, these same traits that are required of elders are the same things that we should be living out. And that's why I love the idea of saying that a, a, an elder is not evaluated on a different set of criteria than anyone else in the church. It's not like there's a path for godly, mature Christians, and then there's a different path for godly, mature elders. It's the same path. What it means to be an elder or a leader in the church is just that you are exemplary in living out the character traits that God has called all of us to live. Again, follow me as I follow Christ is the helpful thing we're supposed to be looking at here. So... So from what we see here, uh, the rest of this time, we're going to pick up the pace as we go through the remaining verses of this chapter. But Paul's going to do two things. He's going to give his example. He's going to say, when I lived among you, this is how I lived. And then he's going to give an exhortation or an encouragement. He's going to give the example of how he led. And then he's going to encourage this group of leaders to lead in the same kind of way that Paul himself did. So let's pick it up in verse 18. I'm going to read about nine verses, and then we'll go back and pick out some themes that are important here regarding leadership. It says, and when they came to him, Paul said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. 
But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So here we see Paul's example of what it means to be a godly leader. And again, we're, we're evaluating this thing. We all have this innate tendency to want to follow good leaders, right? There's no doubt Paul was a gifted leader, but the point of this passage is not find a good leader to follow. It's follow a leader who looks like Jesus. And what Paul is doing here is laying out his character and how he modeled the same kind of thing that, uh, that, uh, that Jesus himself modeled. And so, so if, if there's this contrast between like worldly leadership gifts and then the way that we're called to lead in the local church. It means that the attributes that we evaluate good leaders or successful leaders in the church on, we're gonna have a completely different scorecard than what the world uses. Okay, just because someone is a gifted leader in their workplace doesn't mean that those skills are gonna transfer to what it means to care for the flock of God, to care for the church here uh, among us. So let's, let's see, look and see some of Paul's traits. And again, I don't want this to be um, five steps to godly leadership but there's five different steps here that I think we can look at and see that there's five different ways we can be godly leaders. So the first thing we see from Paul is that he had a genuine integrity among them. He says in verse 18, he says that, you know how I, how I lived among you the whole time I was there. Okay, so, so the world expects there to be this dichotomy that our leaders will have double lives. If you hear that a politician uh, is actually cheating behind the scenes on something, you're not shocked. We, we don't shake our head and be like, oh my gosh, they have no integrity. We kind of expect the leaders in the world to lack integrity. What Paul is saying is there was a complete consistency between how he led in private, who he was in private, and how he led in public. Okay, and so, so the reality is all of us will have some gap between who we are in private and who we are in public. Right, you, you can ask my kids uh, some of my struggles that I have when I'm disciplining them in our home. I, I, I'm more likely to lose my temper in the privacy of my home than I am in the public when we're around. Okay, and I think if you're like me, that's something that we all struggle with is there is a gap between our private lives and our public lives. What Paul is saying is that you can tell the godliness of your character by how large that gap is. If we live with complete integrity, our, my kids should be able to say that I'm the same man when I'm here at church that I am at home when I'm disciplining them. That's the goal of integrity is a complete, consistent life that we have, no hypocrisy. The next thing we see from Paul in step two or, or what, another character trait of a, hum, of a leader is that he was a humble servant. It says that he served the Lord with all humility. Okay, and so the world evaluates leadership or they view leaders as a chance of someone who is so great and so gifted that the spotlight deserves to be on them. But what Paul is saying is that he is a humble leader and a humble leader recognizes that the spotlight never deserves to be on us. Rather, the spotlight only should be shining on Jesus. Jesus alone is the one who is worthy of the glory and the worship and all of those things. Okay, so, so understanding humility is really important if we're going to be godly leaders. I think the most helpful definition comes from C.S. Lewis. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Okay, it's not that you say, oh my gosh, I'm so terrible. It's that you don't even spend time thinking about yourself because you're busy serving and loving other people and glorifying God. That's what we're called to do. And, and so with that, the godliest leaders among us should in some sense be the least impressive people that we know. Okay, I read this quote the other day that is super impactful. It says that um, people cannot be impressed with you and worship Jesus at the same time. 
Think about that. People cannot be impressed with you and worship Jesus at the same time. And that's something that hit me because I struggle with that concept. Like when, when I get up here to preach, I want you all to leave going, boy, he, what an impressive speaker. What a, what a great guy. Everything he said was so wise. That Colbert, he really knows his stuff. Yeah, but if you leave here impressed with me, you are not leaving here worshiping Jesus. I, I, th- I think the, the thing that should happen anytime anyone preaches up here is not leave saying that was an impressive sermon. You should leave saying, boy, Jesus is an impressive Savior. If I evaluate who Jesus is, that's the thing I'm left thinking about. Paul says this in his letter to, to Corinth in 2 Corinthians 4, 5. He says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Okay, leadership is a chance to be a humble servant for the sake of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus. Uh, the next thing we see from Paul in this section is, is that leaders should have a, a devoted and a loving affection for the people that they are called to serve and lead. Okay, Paul mentions three different times in this passage how emotional he feels for the people in Ephesus. He, he mentions how he cried over them. This idea of like the stoic, detached leader is not what it means to be a godly leader. Okay, so, so when we use the wrong scorecard, right, when we use the world scorecard, we say a good leader is someone who gets the job done. Are you, are you getting results? Are you, are you fulfilling the mission? Are things getting done under your leadership? But that's the wrong scorecard. The scorecard for Christian leadership is are you loving the people you're called to love? Okay, not, not are you getting the job done, but the job is loving people. So if we define the job incorrectly, that's why we have so many leaders that can be abusive and use leadership for their own authority. That's what I think the history of our network is, is that the, the, the guy who founded our network, his problem was he was more about getting the job done and not loving people. But, it, but if the job is to love people the same way that Paul does here, then you'll evaluate it correctly. Okay, and in Hebrews 13, the author of Hebrews says that the, we should obey our leaders and submit to them And the reason we're to do that is because they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And that that word keeping watch is a beautiful word. It means to lose sleep over. It's like a shepherd who stays awake all night making sure that his flock is going to be okay. Okay, That's the kind of godly leadership we want to follow. Someone who is is so concerned for us that that he or she is losing sleep because their their love for us keeps them uh, awake because they're worried about how we're doing. That's the kind of affection and care that we should look for in leaders in the church. Uh, The next thing we see is that uh, Paul was a bold teacher. And he mentions twice that he did not shrink from declaring to them the whole counsel of God. Okay, so, so worldly leadership says sometimes there's facts that people don't want to hear, so you have to kind of uh, fudge the numbers, you have to manipulate the data, you have to kind of round the corners, spin the truth in order to achieve the results that you want. That's what worldly leaders do. What a godly leader does is say, I love you so much that the most loving thing I can do is speak the truth to you. If, if I fail to speak the truth to you, that is not loving you, that is loving me. It's, it's I'm afraid to get down and dirty in the mud with you and I'm gonna try to round some, some uh, edges in order to make this seem nicer to you. Okay, there's this story, one of my favorite books is uh, Les Miserables, or however you say that in French. Uh, Les Mis, I think is how people most shorten it. But uh, there's this story where there's a, a kind of the town bad guy. No one liked this guy. He was a crummy businessman. He, he didn't have any respect. And he got trapped under a cart in the mud. And this cart is sinking into the mud. And it is slowly suffocating this guy because no one is able to get uh, strong enough to lift the cart off of him. 
But the, the hero in the story, the leader of the town is Jean Valjean, and he has uh, a history of, uh, he was in prison. He was, he's incredibly strong, but he escaped prison, and so he doesn't want anyone to know that he was in prison, and the bad guy, Javert, uh, is, it thinks that he might be this former prisoner. And the reason he knows that is because this former prisoner was so strong, he could lift anything. And so Jean Valjean knows that if he saves this man's life by getting down in the mud and lifting the cart off of him, he will be sending himself to prison because the police commissioner will know uh, who he is and what his background is. Okay, and again, then we see the godly leadership of this character in this fictional story because he's willing to get down in the mud and he ends up saving this guy's life by lifting the cart off of him. Okay, when we tell ourselves, I'm not going to tell this person the truth because I'm worried how they will receive it, we are not doing what Paul did. Okay, Paul said, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. We need to be willing, like I said, get down in the mud and, and uh, save the people from suffocating because we're willing to speak the hard truths to them. The last thing we see here of these five traits that Paul modeled uh, for the Ephesian elders was a costly endurance. He was willing to endure through hardship and trial. And the reason he said that is because he said he did not count his life precious to himself, but was wanting to be faithful and to finish his course well as worship to God. And, I think, and so the way the world defines leadership is the higher up you get, the more comfortable your life should be. Okay, the less discomfort you should experience. The way the church, the way God, the way the Bible defines leadership is it's someone who is willing to absorb pain for the good of another. Okay, I, I read this quote a few months ago, but it's good enough that it, it's worth reading again. It says, you can exercise and sustain personal leadership only to the extent of your capacity to bear pain. If you can bear only your pain, then you can't really lead. If you can respond to and bear only the pain of your family, then your family represents the full scope of your leadership potential. If, however, by God's grace, you can recognize and bear the pain of those around you, then the scope of your leadership potential is limited only by the scope of your burden and capacity. All this talk of bear, about bearing may seem off-putting to some. You may be thinking, isn't leadership more about vision and the ability to inspire than about pain? Not really. To be sure, there's a kind of leadership that can rouse people to action for a short time, but enduring leadership invariably will be built upon the confidence that those whom you call leader would sacrifice themselves not only for the cause they share with you, but even for you yourself. Okay. Leadership in the world is about pursuing comfort and perks. Leadership in the church is about uh, bearing pain for the good of others. And the reason you can do that is because you don't count your life precious to yourself. Okay, the things that you consider precious, you are willing to, to give up things in order to protect. And I love the word precious and how Gollum from Lord of the Rings has forever changed how we hear the word precious, right? But the reason Gollum was so corrupt is he, he thought the ring of power was so precious to him that he wouldn't do anything to let go of that. And what Paul is saying is if you count your life as precious, you will never be willing to lay it down to serve other people in the same way that Paul did. Leaders are called to cost, be, uh, endure through pain and hardship no matter what the cost is. So, so like I said, we're only like halfway through this passage so far in Paul's example, but, but as we stop here, remember what we're talking about. Okay, we're not looking for leaders to follow. We're trying to follow leaders who look like Jesus. So as you see these five different traits who does that remind you of? Who else in scripture could we look at and say, boy, they really demonstrated those five things? And when it comes to integrity, right, no one was more consistent in their private lives and their public life than Jesus himself. 
He says that he is completely faithful. He will never leave us or forsake us so we can have confidence because Jesus is full of integrity. Okay, how about loving? Uh, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Okay, we see his love demonstrated on the cross. How about the boldness in teaching? Jesus was, was clear in teaching to the Pharisees of, of how they had corrupted the word of God, and he was gentle and kind in teaching the sinners of how they needed grace in God's presence. And then this idea of a costly endurance. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the pain of the cross so that we can come to him in fellowship. And we don't look for a leader to follow. We follow leaders who look like Jesus. So, so that's what Paul's example is. Now we're going to quickly go through the last half of this passage, his exhortation. So this is his encouragement to the other elders in Ephesus of what they should do. Let's pick it up in verse 28. It says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Okay, so there's two things he's saying here. One is we need to be attentive because the enemy is real. The other thing is we need to understand what is in it for us. So this first thing here is dealing with being attentive. He says to keep close watch on yourselves and on the flock of God. Okay, it's, it's the same principle of like uh, the, the airlines, right? We've heard this before. Uh, secure your own mask first before you help someone else. If you are not maturing and growing in your faith and confident of what God is doing in you, then you are not positioned well to love and serve the church and trust what God is doing through you. You have to be attentive. We have to keep our, our head on a swivel where we can look at our own selves and look at those around us who need help. Okay, I played basketball in high school and my, I was a terrible defender because every time we were in man-to-man defense, I would just like focus on the guy I was guarding. And my coach would always yell at me and be like, no, you have to have your head on the swivel. You have to see the person you're guarding and where is the ball. Okay, and that's the kind of dexterity that our leaders have to have if they're going to be godly leaders. They need to keep a close watch on themselves. Are they repenting of their sin? Are they growing in Christ-likeness? Are they loving and serving people well? And keep a close walk, watch on the flock of God. How are the people around you doing? What, what is their, their pain that you are called to bear in this moment? And the reason we do that is because it's not our church. Okay? It, it, this is not your DC. This is not your family. This is not your group. It's God's. Okay, God is the one here. And what we see from this, this awesome verse in 28 is the entire trinity is involved in this leadership endeavor. Okay, notice that. Look at 28 again. He says, pay attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, which is obviously referring to Jesus on the cross. So when we lead as godly leaders, when we keep a watch on ourselves and on the flock, we are getting swept up into this Trinitarian unity that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have had since before the dawn of time where they have eternally existed in loving fellowship and community. That's what it means to be a good leader or a good steward. And the, and the reason we need to do that is because the enemy is real. Right? He says that there are wolves both out there in the world who will come devour the sheep of God and there are wolves from our own midst who will come out and they will adopt false teaching that will lead people astray from Jesus. Okay, doctrine matters because bad theology, bad doctrine always leads people away from the true Jesus. And if we're led away from the true Jesus, we can't experience the love and care that he has for us. But, he, but even here, I love the way he couches this idea of shooting the wolves. 
Okay, a lot of times, like people, particularly young men who just ex- discover theology for the first time, love this concept of shooting some wolves. They're like, I can't wait to go wolf hunting. I, I really hope you have a heresy at our table today so I can stomp all over you and let you know how stupid you are for believing that false doctrine. Okay, but what Paul's doing, notice he says that he did not cease for three, day, or three years to admonish them through tears. Okay, even when we have to shoot a wolf, even when someone has false doctrine in our midst, that is a deeply loving and painful and needs the affection of Jesus when we are going after that heresy. Because that heretic is someone that Jesus loved enough to die for. Okay, that's what it means to shoot a wolf. It's less like going wolf hunting and, and getting a mount for your wall. It's a lot more like that, that, uh, that truly horrific children's movie, Old Yeller. Do you guys remember that movie? It's like Walt Disney was like, hey, let's scar an entire generation of kids. How can we do that? Oh, let's make a movie where this kid raises a dog and loves it like a brother, and then he shoots it at the very end of the movie. It'll, it'll, it'll terrify every kid who sees that movie, right? If you're not laughing, you haven't seen this horrific movie. I would recommend you avoid it. But in that, like, it's a, it's a tearjerker because this kid loves this dog, and he has to shoot it because he has rabies at the end. Okay, so he's going to hurt people around him if he doesn't shoot it. That's the kind of posture when you're dealing with a wolf or a heretic we need to assume. Because again, that, that is a person Jesus loved enough to die for. We cannot just rage all over them for bad doctrine. Even correcting bad doctrine needs to be done in a spirit of love. Okay, so let's see what's really in it for us. If you are a godly leader, what is in it for you? Look at verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. And all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember that it, the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Okay, so, so all leaders, the world says, what's in it for us? And when we say what's in it for us, we ask for what are the perks, what's the salary, what are the advantages, what are the things that leadership will give me? And what Paul is saying is that leadership doesn't get you anything. It costs you everything. Okay, he says he didn't covet anyone's gold or silver or apparel. And then he talks about how hard he worked among them. And the reason he was able to work hard is because he understood the inheritance that he gets from Jesus. Look again at verse 32. It says um, that, that I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Okay, what, what you get for following Jesus is the same thing that the leaders get who follow Jesus. All of us are on the same playing field. We receive an inheritance of, from God. So it's the, the presence of God in our lives. It's communion and fellowship with him that comes through the word of his grace. It's unmerited favor. If you are called by God to lead something, it's not a reward for your performance because you've worked really hard. It's a sign of God's grace and his undeserved kindness on you that puts you in that place so that you can love other people. And and, and that loving other people is going to be hard work. He's talking about his finances and he said that he worked hard among them. He was a tent maker. And the thing about working hard is you always end up getting calloused hands, right? So I I worked for for 20 years as a carpenter and my hands were so calloused that I would never get splinters for anything. Now I've been a pastor for for nine years and I feel like I can get a splinter just by looking at a board. Like all of a sudden my hand starts hurting. But what what happens with leadership a lot of times is we think that it leads to having perks 
All right, so our hands become soft because we don't want to work hard. And then we get upset with people who don't follow our leadership and our heart gets hard and calloused. And what Paul is saying throughout this whole passage is that's the exact opposite of what a godly leader is. Okay, a godly leader should have calloused hands and a soft heart, not a calloused heart and soft hands is what Paul was demonstrating here. And because of that, we should care for the weak um, that those who, who are most in need of care are, most, are those who, who are most likely to be devoured by a wolf and most in need of a loving leader from God to care for them. And then he says, that he ends with the words of Jesus who says, it's more blessed to give than receive. And I think that is another beautiful definition of what a godly leader is, is it should cost you more than you take. If you are taking more than you're giving, you're not leading, right? Like, like no, one, no one would ask their kids to give more than they're taking, Right? Okay, but, but what it means to be a godly parent is you are giving of yourself more than you are requiring of your kids. In the same way, if you are called by God to lead, uh, it should cost you more than you receive in return. And so with that, what we see, again, from this whole passage is we're not looking for leaders to follow. We're trying to follow leaders who look like Jesus because Jesus himself is the one who gave entirely, expecting nothing in return because of a demonstration of the love that he has for us. Let's, let's wrap up this passage, verses 36 through 38. When Paul had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. And so from here, he gets on the ship and he goes on to Jerusalem. And so, so in, in our church, we talk a lot about uh, this is, Falcon is kind of like a campsite. People set up camp for a period of time and then they move on. It's a very transient place. So, so we as a church are very familiar with tearful goodbyes. Right, of having to cry over someone, pray over them, knowing that God is calling them on to a different place. Uh, but what that reminds us of is how important prayerful dependence is. Like as they're weeping, they are praying. They're trusting God to be the one to work in the situation to care for them. And also what happens is the mission goes on anyway. Just because God moves someone on to another place doesn't mean that the mission stops. Paul gets on the ship and goes to Jerusalem because God has more work for him to do. Which, which I think that's a good place to end this passage because we've been talking about how important leadership is. But the fact that Paul's willing to get on the ship and go on to the next spot reminds us at the end of the day, leaders aren't actually that important, right? They, they are more expendable because the, the goal of leadership is not attaching ourselves to the leader. It's the leader pointing us to Jesus and our allegiance being knit tighter and tighter to Jesus. And at the end of the day, leaders are important, but they're not that important. Uh, and the city of Ephesus is actually a great historical example of how, in some ways, unimportant leadership is. So, so, so the church in Ephesus was planted by Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, it was, it was uh, taught by Apollos. They're some of the three greatest Christians in the New Testament. Paul was one of their leaders when they were getting going. After Paul leaves, he sends Timothy, who's like this young rock star guy to lead the church. And after Timothy moves on, the disciple John, John the Beloved, who wrote like a quarter of the New Testament, he becomes the next leader in the church in Ephesus. And for good measure, he brings Jesus' own mother, Mary, along with him to help uh, lead this church in Ephesus. But it's within 100 years, there is no re visible evidence of a healthy church existing in Ephesus. And even to this day, uh, the, the, the area of Turkey where Ephesus is still struggles to have a gospel presence. Okay, and what that historical example shows us is leaders are important, but at the end of the day, they're not that important. What really matters is whether or not our hearts are being knit to Jesus through the leadership of the person we look up to. 
And so I started off this morning by mentioning uh, Acts 29, the network that we're a part of and the founder. Uh, if you've been following the news, um, our current president has been in the news a little bit. He's uh, under some church discipline right now for uh, saying an inappropriate thing to a member of his church. Uh, and I wanted to bring it up here this morning because it's too bizarre of timing to be talking about godly leadership while this is happening on the national news that you're able to read about. But the reason I want to bring it up is because the leaders of that local church, of their church in Dallas, I think are doing a fantastic job of drawing attention to the fact of how important it is for leaders to be above reproach, to have the kind of character that says, if you follow me as I follow Christ, we will end up in the right place together. Okay, but the other reason I wanted to bring that up is to, to remind us that at the end of the day, our allegiance doesn't lie with any leader. And, and in America, I think we are particularly prone to idolize and to worship our leaders and to, to expect them to be substitute Jesuses for us instead of looking only to Jesus. Okay, this is something that I've been, had to very painfully walk through in my own life. When I was in college, uh, the pastor I grew up with got fired for this national scandal all over the media. It's a very like, heartbreaking thing for me personally as someone who grew up in his church. And at the same time, the church I was going to in college, their pastor retired after 25 years of godly ministry, and he kind of rode off into the sunset with this wonderful uh, uh, celebration of his, of his leadership and his influence. And when, what I've done for too long is be like, okay, be like the leader who retires well, not the leader who gets fired. Okay, but, but I think the lesson I need to observe in my own heart instead is at the end of the day, it doesn't matter which leader we're talking about because I'm supposed to be looking to Jesus, not looking to any of these earthly leaders. Okay, every single leader in our church or any church you will ever go to is a sinner. And when we say that, they're not generic sinners. They're specific sinners. Okay, I, I am not a generic sinner. I am a specific sinner. I have specific sins that will hurt people and it will cause them pain. And, and, if, and if we only view our leaders as generic sinners instead of specific sinners, we will never have the grace to forgive them and to see their sin covered by the forgiveness of Jesus. And the reason that's important is because Jesus is not a generic savior. He is a specific savior. He died for the specific sins that you and I struggle with. And whether you're in leadership or whether you're not, you need a savior who has died, lived in your place and died in your place. So that when we struggle and we all struggle in many ways, we're not looking to our leaders saying, are they perfect or not? We're looking to Jesus, recognizing that his perfection is what covers all of our sin. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are a loving savior, uh, that you knew how messed up all of us are before you even came to earth to die for us. But out of your love and compassion and mercy and kindness, you chose to die anyway. Lord, we're so grateful for your grace and we, we ask that by the power of your grace and, your, and the, through the work of your Holy Spirit that we would become men and women of character who are able to say with integrity, follow me as I follow Christ and us all end up in the right spot together. Uh, Lord, forgive us for the ways that we, we look to our leaders to be, to be our saviors. Uh, we know that that role has already been taken by you. And so we pray that uh, through our, our, our leadership, through our discussions, through our interactions, that people would leave impressed with you, not with anything we do or say. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen. All right, well, if this is your first time here, it's great to be worshiping with you. The reason we sit around tables is so that we can study a passage in depth like this, and then we can turn to each other and process what God is showing us from his word. So we have some discussion questions to guide our time. Uh, These are more like guidelines than actual rules. You don't have to stick to them closely. Uh, Just know that anything you say, you'll be loved well at your table. This is is a, a, a safe place. First question for us is, as you think about the leaders you have respected most, what attributes have they had that were impactful and how do those attributes reflect the character of Jesus? Remember, we're not looking for leaders to follow. We're following leaders who look like Jesus. Secondly, where have, where have you seen the American church pursue worldly leadership instead of godly leadership? And what have been the consequences? And lastly, where has God given you leadership influence? Uh, which of the traits discussed today do you most need to grow in? Because we're all called to be leaders in different areas. What do you need to grow in as you follow Christ? So we'll do that for about eight minutes, and then we'll end with a time of worship and communion. Amen. I hope hope your discussions went well. Uh, One of the things that we like to say every week at this point in the service is that it is uh, whenever we encounter God's word, whenever we, this is God's word, it's true and it's given out of his love, encountering the presence of God through the word of God should lead to changing us and we should respond in certain ways. And so we can respond in singing. Uh, the reason we sing at church is because uh, you sing for things you love, right? Like the reason countries have national anthems is because singing shows a sign of affection. The reason we sing to Jesus is because we're responding to what he has done for us and we love him. Um, uh, we also um, uh, respond by giving. Uh, the reason we give of our finances is it's a reminder that God has given us everything. And when we give generously, it points us to the generosity Jesus has shown us. Uh, the reason we, we pray for one another is because if God has, has uh, uh, made a way for us to be in God's presence through the sacrifice of Jesus, then when you and I pray for each other, that is a response that comes because of the presence of God. So if you would like prayer for anything, I'll be in that back corner there. Uh, and I'd love to pray for you uh, at any point during these next two songs. But the other thing that we do when we respond to what God has done is we respond by taking communion. And so we're going to talk about what communion is right now. But before I do that, I do want to say a word to to those of you here who have experienced church wounds, uh, because uh, there's a lot of emotional pain that can be caused in our life, but there's something particularly painful and and wounding when you you encounter that pain in a church. When when someone from a church ends up hurting you, uh, that can be a particularly painful and difficult thing. And so this is a word from uh, Hebrews 13 when he's talking in the context about leadership. And he says, um, to, uh, we should be content with what he has, we have, for Jesus has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Like ultimately, no matter what has happened to us, if God is on your side, then, then you have already won. Uh, you are you're already, if you have the Lord as your helper, that's all that we need. And so when this morning when we're talking about leadership and then the topic of leadership failure inevitably comes up, I want us to end today with fixing our gaze in the direction that it's supposed to be placed. Okay, the reason we say follow me as I follow Christ is not because whoever is saying that is so great. It's because following Christ is where it's all about. If we fix our eyes on Jesus, that's when all of this stuff will uh, be, be made right and be made whole. And so the reason we take communion every week is because that little cracker reminds us that, that Jesus' body was broken for us. And the little bit of juice that we take reminds us that Jesus' blood was shed for us. And so no matter what you have sins you have uh, failed at, uh, no matter what leader uh, you have looked to that has let you down, no matter what pain we have encountered in our lives, ultimately our gaze is fixed on Jesus, Jesus who will never leave us or forsake us. 
And we have the evidence of that in the fact that he was willing to go to the cross to die in our place so his blood could cover us, our sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, so when you come to the table this morning, uh, do it as an act of confession of your own dependence, that without the blood and body of Jesus, you have no hope. But then also as a reminder of the fact that those that we look to as leaders are in the exact same boat that we are. Okay, like without the blood of Jesus, no one has any hope. Without the broken body of Jesus, there would be no hope. So, so use this as a moment to remind yourself of your dependence on Jesus, but also to remind yourself of those that you look to as leaders of their dependence on Jesus as well. So if you're able, would you stand with me? And I'm going to read the words of uh, Jesus from 1 Corinthians 11. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, we are so grateful uh, for the cross, for the way that that demonstrated uh, your love for us, but also for the actual power that it had to defeat sin and death once and for all. Lord, and if our greatest enemy has been defeated, then we know we can cling to you with hope, knowing that uh, you will uh, one day return and all of this will be made right. So in the meantime, God, help us to look to you and you alone for our hope and our salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.